In The Loop. We're here to discuss the ups, downs, and sideways of the sport of figure skating, and maybe give you plus five GOE along the way. Let's introduce today's hosts. Hello, I'm Nave, and I'm still recovering from Cinnamon on the Olympic ice. I didn't think I was ready for it, and I'm still not ready for it, and it's already happened. Hi, I'm Car, and it's been a while, and the Olympics are taking up so much brain space right now that I told my therapist about them. That's valid. I don't know if you saw, but I talked to my therapist about the Olympics today. Uh, the day of recording. <laughs> day one, post-men's. <laughs> I was like, Sharon, the Olympics are on. She's like, yeah, I watched figure skating last night. And I was like, oh, what is she going to remember? And she's like, all I remember is the guy who wore flannel, a.k.a. Keegan. <laughs> And the guy who was attempting something that had never been done before. <laughs> Anyways, let's start with the news. All right, so we have an update on the Camila Valieva doping scandal. So the International Testing Agency, which is now like, what, the fifth or sixth entity organization that has gotten involved in this. And yet, you know, we still don't have a decision on whether Camila Valieva will be withdrawing or not. The International Testing Association has made a statement and confirmed that on December 25th, Camila Valieva took a standard doping test uh, under the authority of the Russian anti-doping agency, Rosada, a test taken during Russian nationals. And the laboratory of the World Anti-Doping Association uh, took the sample and reported that it returned a banned substance, or in technical terms, an adverse analytical finding, uh, for the non-specified prohibited substance trimetazidine. And after this, you know, it being a banned substance, she was provisionally suspended by Rosada immediately. Now, because it is the Russian Anti-Doping Association, which, if you've been wondering why Russia hasn't competed under their own flag in past two Olympics, uh, there's your answer. It's said that the athlete, which is less likely to be 15-year-old Camila and more likely to be the adults on her team, uh, challenged the ban on February 9th, 2022, and a hearing took place on the same day. And that evening, the Rosada Disciplinary Anti-Doping Committee decided to lift her provisional suspension, which would allow her to compete because it was the Russian Anti-Doping Association that had control of her tests, they were able to lift that ban themselves, which mean that it falls to the World Anti-Doping Agency, as well as the ISU and the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, to do something about it, which they do have a right to appeal the decision to lift her ban before the Court of Arbitration for Sport, CAS, which they plan on doing, because Camila is slated to skate uh, at the women's short program on February 15th. Because no decision has has been reached, she is able to continue practicing. And it should be said that there is a little bit of confusion on the time delay from taking her test to getting her results. If she got her results on February 9th, that is days after the team event, after things had already been in motion. So there's a bit of confusion about the time delay. The United States Anti-Doping Agency's website reports that it could take six to eight weeks which makes that timeline make sense it took 45 days where the world anti-doping agency reports that it should take 20 but as of you know me recording we still don't know if she will be withdrawing which it's no question she cannot be allowed to compete so the world anti-doping agency wada the ioc the international olympic committee and the isu the international skating union are all going to be appealing the Russian anti-doping agency's decision to lift the suspension to the CAS, the Court of Arbitration for Sport. And I believe it was also stated that uh, should they appeal that and should that go through, the Russian Olympic Committee or the Russian anti-doping agency might appeal that decision. The IOC hopes to win the appeal against Russia letting her practice and compete. Then Russia would go to CAS and appeal that ruling and CAS would be forced to rule on the entire merits of the case. I know it's our, you know, strong belief and many, many people's strong belief that Camila should not be allowed to compete. You know, the way I see it, if she skates, there are three possible outcomes. One confirmed outcome is the ISU, even the IOC, just completely loses their credibility. Like I said, you can't so egregiously ignore the code like that when it's, it is clear as day, it has been reported 
and confirmed that she tested positive for a banned substance and was still allowed to compete. They wouldn't be able to recover from that. And then Camila, you know, if she goes out there and skates under this, you know, this pressure and, you know, the media hailing down a storm of garbage at her, either she goes out there, you know, she performs well, she medals under intense scrutiny, all her results will be under scrutiny, and, you know, she'll be getting media fly for the rest of her career which will likely not last long and it is also likely that her medal will then be stripped and her career will be over after that or she goes out there and she skates under all that pressure and it gets to her and her career is over then it's just terrible she's not her parents aren't even here the only adults she has around her are the ones who got her into this situation we just want to stress that this is not on camila she does not deserve your hatred or your anger at this she deserves your support because once again it's on the adults in her situation who should be taking better care of her what i want to stress you know is the reaction to the news because russia more or less has a reputation especially among american fans of almost any olympic sport of you know being the country that that does doping this has already happened after it came to light and it will just get worse. They've already started to come for Camila, who, again, is 15 years old. We just want to stress that we don't know all the facts. But what fact we do know is that she is under the care and responsibility of the adults in her team. And to see people, and I've mainly seen you know figures in Russian sports and Russian media, start to go after her for it. That is just, that's incorrect. It is disgusting to go after a minor after, you know, in her situation for that. And so, yeah, I just wanted to get that point across. So now we get to talk about the actual meat of this episode. The actual reason we're here. The men's event has concluded. Aren't we excited? It's so, like, strange to think about. I know. It's like... I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders, which it hasn't. It has not in the slightest. But it's like, I, I remember with such, like, vast vividity the emotions of 2018. It's like <laughs> the men's event just happened yesterday. Like, I remember, like, so clearly, like, how I felt during the 2018 men's event. And the fact that, like, 2022 men's event is over now is a very strange concept. What's the One Direction lyric? Uh, doesn't it drive you crazy how fast the night changes or something? Yes. Yeah. One Direction has more of an impact on skating than the Come On, Come On song. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, the men's event has concluded. And it's like, even though there was a day in between, it's weird. It feels like it just went so quickly. Like, damn, we're already done with it. It's the fact that, like, men's was the one that I was, like, most stressed for. So, like, now that it's over, I can, like, chill. I know. I dude, when when Paris comes back around, I'm going to be like eating my words. But for now, so, you know, the men's event is concluded and we will get to talking about the medalists and the results. But also, the Olympics is the culmination of 4 years of competitions and injuries and tears. And so we want to just start off just, you know, vibe checking uh the last quad. What, like, you know, things like what were our expectations going into the event? You know, how has the quad been and how has the Olympics reflected that quad? Now, men's itself is the most hot mess of a discipline that there is. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so, you know, the field has been volatile lately after Pyeongchang. The men have ha- have experienced the epic highs and lows of figure skating, <laughs> as we like to put it. You know, we've had coaching changes, we've had injuries, we've had rises and falls. We've had COVID. <laughs> yeah. So like I honestly it's a, I think it's important to point out that so many so many of these skaters have had to train in the past two years through Zoom uh, or other horrible methods that are really not ideal for figure skating. And we've also had a lot of major like coaching changes with the skaters. So we've had Shoma Uno switch to Stefan Lambiel. We've had Jason Brown switch to Team TCC in Canada. I can't even believe that was this quad. That's crazy. And even with like those were just like you know the major actual coaching changes. But like we mentioned, you know the way the shape of training has changed post, you know, in the pandemic is like a coaching change in and of itself. It definitely led to a lot more, you know, uncertainty 
going into this Olympics. I think, you know, one of our biggest wild cards going into Beijing was Boyan Jin, who placed fourth at Pyeongchang four years ago. Lord, it seems so long ago. And after that, he has kind of, he's been through a pretty rough quad that, with the way world standings work, ended up with him skating in the first group. But it kind of speaks to the chaos that is men's. And also, Boyan himself, that he did pretty well in the short program. Uh, near per- near clean, I think he said a shaky triple axel. Uh, never heard of that jump in my life. <laughs> What's a triple axel? <laughs> With a not perfect short program, he still was in first place well into the third group. He wasn't even at his very best, and he was still a contender. And I'm just so proud of him that he put together, put out... His best two programs, like one of his best showings in the past quad on home ice at his home Olympics. I was so happy to see it. You could see the emotion on his face after both of his programs. And it brought brought many of us, including me, because I'm a giant crybaby, to tears. (laughs) It's strange. He seems to compete better on like home ice than like everywhere else. One of the things that was weighing on his shoulders, I'm sure, was, you know, the pressure of coming off of this rough quad to his home Olympics. And he he crushed it out there. And that was our wild card. What's also interesting to like think about, across this quad especially, but at this Olympics, is the age difference of the field between this Olympics and the last. Um, Pyeongchang had a lot of a lot of the men were at their first Olympics and a lot of the men weren't they were experienced but they weren't experienced in the Olympic atmosphere. So, like, we had Shoma had his first Olympics, Mikhail Kolyada, Boyang Jin, Nathan Chan. Yeah, skaters who had been on the scene for, you know, a couple of years, but had, you know, just entered the senior scene, not at the time of the Olympics. Whereas, like, for this Olympics, we had basically half the field were people with Olympic experience, and the other half were people who were making their Olympic debut. Roman Sadovsky, Adam Shaohimfa... Uh, Mark Kondratiuk. Yep, Andrei Mozilov. Yeah, like, you know, they had never been to Worlds before, which is, you know, the most important competition in the quad, barring, you know, the Olympics at the end of it. So it was kind of interesting to see how they went and attacked it, it being pretty much their first time on a world stage like that. It's just kind of weird, like, it's kind of weird, but also very interesting to compare Pyeongchang to now, because Pyeongchang... While it had a lot of men at their first Olympics, it also had a lot of men at their last. We had a lot of retirements after Pyeongchang. And it's just, the field has, you know, kind of undergone a big change. We have a whole different field of skaters that we didn't have, you know, in the quad leading up to Pyeongchang. Team Russia, especially, all three of their skaters were 18 years old. All three of their skaters made up the three youngest people, like, skaters in this event. Between Pyeongchang and now... Russia had an entirely different team. Although, granted, Mikhail Koyada was meant to be on the Olympic team, but a positive COVID test led to him withdrawing from the team. It's crazy to think the oldest skater here in Beijing was Alexei Pachenko. He is 34 years old. The oldest skater at Pyeongchang was also Alexei Pachenko, 30 years old. <laughs> That's my king. Shout out to Alexei Pachenko. I just love that guy. He's the best. The youngest skater at Pyeongchang was Junhuan Cha of Korea age 16, whereas now it was Mark Kondratiuk at age 18. It's kind of interesting. I thought there would be someone younger than 18. In all fairness, I thought Yuma Kageyama was still 16. (laughs) 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 The boy does not age in my mind. (laughs) Oh my god. Dude, he still looks like he's 15. But yeah, with the way that the field changed since Pyeongchang, there was so many new skaters to watch in the rise up to Beijing. Not all of which were able to make it. But That doesn't mean they're out of the game. We're still excited to watch them going forward. I kind of want to shout out, you know, the skaters who were at Pyeongchang, who we got to see rise on the, you know, on the road to Beijing. I think it's not an overstatement to say that Junhuan has had one of the most meteoric rises of the skaters from Pyeongchang to Beijing. Mateo Rizzo was also in the first group at Pyeongchang, and he was in the second to last group in the short program here. Morrissey... Kavite Lashvili, he was in the last group to go here for the short program. Kevin Amos uh, lost the Olympic spot in 2018, had a really, a really big rise in popularity 
over the course of the quad, there was a big change of guard between Pyeongchang and Beijing. And another thing I want to talk about is the fact that we had two major withdrawals within this event, like two skaters that we would have, at least here at ITL, deemed as medal contenders. So we had Mikhail Kalyada from the ROC withdrawing on the 25th due to a positive COVID test, and he was replaced by Evgeny Simonenko. His situation is at least one that's been at the forefront of a lot of conversation at this games. So his COVID test result, in my opinion, was early enough that if Russian Federation had waited it out per se before withdrawing him, he would have been able to compete as he tested negative by the 2nd of February and the men's event didn't start until the 8th. And obviously he would have missed the team event. But judging by Russian media, even before his withdrawal, he wasn't to be in the team event in a way. And Russian media had been saying that Mark was going to be doing the free skate and the short program since Euros. Yeah, it's almost like confirmed that he could have made it if, you know, they had worked hard enough considering Daniel Glykengos and Koken, the general director of RustFed, uh, they both reported that they tested positive on the 29th and were permitted to fly to Beijing. Or like, why, why weren't they held to the same standards? Kogan had said that he was 100% positive that they were false positives. Oh, yeah, Despite sure. the fact when he arrived in Beijing on the 7th, he tested positive. But also, I think, is really important context for the Misha in withdrawal is the fact that on the 1st of February, it was reported that Keegan Messing was still waiting for negative COVID tests. And we had been wondering where Keegan was. Because, like, we, at least I assumed that had always assumed that he was going to be doing the team event and I'm sure everyone else assumed he was doing the team event. It's basically confirmed he was supposed to be doing both events of the team event. Um, so we're like, where's Keegan? Nope, everyone else has arrived. Keegan's story was a wild ride. So Mikhail Kolyada tested negative before Keegan did and yet was still unable to go because of Russian Federation's, to say it better, lack of interest in Misha. As painful as that is. But, uh, good news, uh, the best news we've had all week, Mikhail Koyada on a Russian program confirmed, not that we had it, not that we had any suspicions, confirmed that he is going to be sticking around and skating in the future, and I could cry with relief. He is a blessing to watch. King is staying with us. Thank you. And we also had Vincent Zhou from the USA withdraw on the 7th after a positive COVID test after competing in the team event the day before. That's heartbreaking, man. It is. His Instagram video was possibly the most saddest thing I've seen all quad from figure skating. And like, you know, he's still young. He's got a future ahead of him. But like, that's that's still heartbreaking. My heart goes out to him. I'm, re- I'm really glad that the IOC or whoever decided to give him a spot in the gala. So at least he'll be able to skate one more time on Olympic ice. Well, so that was our quad vibe check. Let's hear about the medalists. So uh, your gold medalist uh, was Nathan Chen, representing the United States of America. Your silver medalist, Yuma Kagiyama, representing Japan. And your bronze medalist, Shoma Uno, also representing Japan. We're going to talk about the short program and then the free program. And, you know, have some thoughts as a whole afterwards. So the short program, uh, for the most part, was actually really solid like so solid that it came as a shock to everyone because the men are usually a mess honestly if you take out like the very few disaster skates we had it would probably be the best short program we've had in recent history yeah i know when does that happen would you say everyone in the top six scored a personal best there were so many people in the night what, the top 12 were above 90 points hello <laughs> like what <laughs> yeah w- when was the last time that happened Honestly, it was really nice to watch the short program and watch, like, you know, most of the people go out there and have a good time and, you know, finish with smiles on their faces. Of course, it filled me with dread for the free program, but, you know, it was nice while it lasted. We, we can never have nice things in figure skating. But, um, as of the short program, we do have a new short program world record of 113.97 set by Nathan Chen. He built off the momentum he had in the team event when he came close to it, uh, which you guys mentioned in the team event episode that the team event is used by feds to build momentum. And uh, it worked. You know, Nathan's short programs here kind of like split me in half because in one half I'm like, not that you don't deserve that world record, but that performance did not warrant a world record. Yeah. But on the other half, I'm like, after what happened in 2018, I'm glad he got that redemption in some way. 
Oh, yeah. I I mean, we're able to say that, you know, he performed the program well, you know, and also disagree with the score, you know, because the previous world record was 112. And I think, you know, the less than two points that he scored over it, you know, he wouldn't have deserved via PCS mainly. You know, he did perform those well, and I am 100% genuine, very glad he could have that redemption. It showed on his face that he was relieved to have done that. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad he had that. But I we can still support without agreeing with the score. <laughs> I think the main thing we disagree with in at least the short program scoring is the PCS. So we had Nathan Chen, Yuma Kagiyama, Yuzuru Hanyu and Jason Brown all scoring 47 PCS with Nathan winning the PCS in the event overall. Let's talk about how that's not accurate. Skating skills and transition are, you know, the most clear to see. And, you know, Nathan doesn't win that, especially compared to skaters like Jason, Yuzuru, and Yuma. They're just, like, speeding across the ice, dude. And Nathan has little to no knee bend. He, his edge control isn't great, and he relies heavily on toe pushing to gather speed. So I, I do just question how is he beating skaters who have much harder programs in terms of pure skating and who are executing those choreographies with better quality. I can't tell a judge to enjoy a performance, you know, more or less. But I can point on the screen and be like, that's where the evidence is, sir. And, you know, going back to the world record, just because, you know, world records are, you know, a big deal and are flaunted a lot. You know, judging his PCS correctly wouldn't have put him there. You know? What's also annoying is, it's not so much annoying as it is questionable, is the fact that Nathan led this short program by five points. Did he need those extra PCS? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He didn't need them to lead. It's like, you know, and we'll talk about this when we get to the free program. I still think Nathan should have won. Yeah. It's not a question about whether Nathan deserved to win this Olympic title so much as it is... Did he deserve to win it by that much of a lead? Yeah, it's like, you know, in the eternal scoring debacle, it's not about, when it comes to, you know, correct scoring and judging, it's not about placements most of the time. Obviously, scores affect placements. It's about being consistent to the handbook, the rule book. You can't just pick and choose when you want to follow these rules. You have to, especially, you know, ISU, you set these rules, now follow them. And follow them every time. Otherwise, you're just turning scoring into a farce and making a fool of yourself in the process. What I did really like about this event was we had the, I don't think it was ice scope as such, but we had the statistics of the jumps. Yeah, it would show height, uh, distance. It's nothing compared to ice scope. Ice scope is the god. But it was still nice. It was still cool to see, you know? And it also shows that maybe not the ISU per se, but certain federations and technology companies are trying to lead towards a figure skating where judging is more accurate and is more objective and plays by the rule book which i feel like we'd all love to see because who doesn't love skating by the rules (laughs) (laughs) you know nathan scoring aside uh there were some other questionable judging and scoring choices like shoma uno who got a 105 with a hand down on the triple toe in his quad toe triple toe combo. And I think the box was green, aka, you know, positive GOE. Uh, that was a hand down. With the hand down, he got minus 0.14 GOE. It was just a clear as day hand down. I just, I just, I just feel like it should have gotten more off. Yuma got positive GOE for a stumble in his step sequence. But it is nice to point out that he called that out. Uh, in the interview after the short program, he was like, yeah, I don't know why I got positive GOE for that. That's a little whack. It says a lot about the judges when a skater is negatively questioning his own score. <laughs> Especially when it's an 18-year-old skater who's been on the senior circuit for max two years. That's not even the first time Yuma has called out his scores at the Olympics. At the team event, he got positive GOE on uh, the step out of his quad loop, and he called that out as well. And it's like, um, I... I'm like, damn, you must respect. Um, other questionable scores: uh, Morrissey, uh, Yevgeny Semenenko got some got some high scores. Daniel Grassel scoring ninety when both of his Lutzes were on clear edge. Yuzuru Hanyu score, you know, even with the pop 
should have been higher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> his his combo is like textbook. Come on. I want to know why, and this is more. It, it's very clearly seen in the free skate score, but it is also seen slightly in the short. I and I understand the PCS have a cap for serious error, but throughout this event, it's become alarmingly clear that this cap only applies to Yuzuru. Anyways, Yuzuru Hanyu uh had a pop in his program. He popped his quad sal, um, into a single. And it was because of a giant hole in the ice. Can you believe it? The hole was so big, I, it blows my mind how no other skater had an issue with this hole. Of all people, it was, you know, Yuzuru Hanyu, previous, you know, two-time gold medalist, you know, greatest figure skater of all time, hit the hole and popped his quad cell and lost so many points and was in eighth. I think other than that, short program was, you know, Pretty good, pretty fair. Um, I could argue that uh, Jun Huan Shaw deserved to be to get a hundred, uh, but that's that's for another day. That's okay. Ninety nine point five one is close enough. I can, I'll, I'll accept it. Dude, he was so happy with it that like I'll let it slide for now. You know, shout outs from the short program. Um, I personally think that we should take Adam Shaohim Fa's Star Wars short program and uh, mass send it to Mark Hamill, uh, so he could make it go viral. I just think that's the proper course of action, you know? I mean, yeah. when It, it did go viral on Twitter. It was great. <laughs> but it could go more viral. It could go more viral. Dude, it was so good. I saw it live at IDF, and it was honestly, like, other than, like, Jason, it was the highlight of the event. <laughs> Dude, it's so fun, and he performs it so much. Like, he puts his whole heart into that that step sequence and that aerial at the end. Another massive also shout out to um, Keegan Messing, who... Oh, God, dis- what a man. Dis- despite all odds, went out and sold it. Dude, he killed it. I just think that that's, you know, further proof that wife guys stay winning. It's the fact that he has prepared a picture of his child to show at every single kiss and cry. Dude, I was so annoyed. At his free program, NBC cut it off. No. NBC cut off the Wyatt shot, and I was like, No! That's what this event is about. <laughs> Why are we here if not to see pictures of Keegan Messing's newborn son? <laughs> I have fully come into my own as a Keegan stan. I love watching him skate. I think he is, like, really impressive. But yeah, Keegan gets a shout out. And um, this is not the first time I will bring up this man in this episode. Uh, Evie Willing keep it, keep it, keeps it in. Donovan Curio. Dare I say the highlight of the entire Olympics... I'm not kidding in the slightest. So Donovan Creo, I think he's the only Latin American skater who was there. He went out there and he did really well in his short program, which is always good to see, but that has never mattered, like, when watching him. You know, he is just one of the most unique, special skaters to watch. We would like to tell you a little bit about Donovan's backstory, um, although... There are many resources for you to read up about it yourself if you would like to learn more. We will link in the episode description a little fluff piece, like 15 minutes that the Olympics channel did on him that is very sweet. And, you know, sort of eye-opening to things you might not consider about him. So, as is, you know, pretty well known, it's been mentioned a lot over the past couple weeks, Donovan made history as the first, you know, Mexican man to qualify for Olympic figure skating in 30 years. You can kind of infer from, you know, being a Mexican figure skater and how little it's represented in Latin America is represented overall on the international scene. You can infer that he does not have a lot of training opportunities, like, you know, compared to American or Russian skaters, Japanese skaters. It's a it's a common small federation problem. Because of that, he has had quite a fight in order to train regularly, in order to make it here. You know, making it here was a battle in its in and of itself. Most of Mexico's ice rinks are public ones, which are located in shopping malls. And so that is where he trains for the most part, with countless strangers and distractions. He has to focus both on himself and his skating, as well as the others on the ice, uh, which could be anyone of any age. And these people don't have the sort of figure skater on ice sharing etiquette, you know, of you know spatial awareness and run-throughs. And, you know... To be fair, these people don't have to have that awareness, but it is just an added challenge for Donovan as he trains. And, you know, these rinks being public and in shopping malls and for, you know, just casual people, like, you know, casual skaters, 
who, you know, maybe just want to go and have a fun time, it means that the ice is rarely up to the standard of international competition, both in quality of the ice itself and the size of the rink, which will affect training more than, you know, non-figure skaters could know. In addition to that, you know, the state of his training, which is consistent, uh, Donovan had to move across the country with his coach in order to have access to, you know, a half-decent rink. And he made this move in 2013, which is nine whole years ago. He would have been 13 or 14 making that change. And that's how it's been. And, you know, he's not the only one to have struggled like this. And it's just so, you know, it's so impressive of him. It speaks to such dedication and strength to have fought this fight for so long and to have it all be worth it. You know, dreams do come true, as, you know, is what he said, to have it all be worth it all those years later at the Olympics. I I will repeat it forever. Donovan is what the Olympics are all about. He's just a whole different thing to watch when he skates. Like, he shows his passion and joy for skating every single time he goes out there like no one else does. And just to see him go out there and make history and, you know, just... It, it was just so special. I'm so glad he could be there and he could do that on such an on such a stage and everyone was falling in love with him as they just, as they should. It was just the highlight of the event for me, honestly. Was Donovan Carrillo. He was also the first Mexican skater to ever qualify to the well, what is now in modern day figure skating, the free skate, but we'll say the final round of figure skating in Olympic history. That wraps up our short program discussion. And now we will move on to the free skate, which was decidedly less clean as a whole than the short program. It was kind of funny watching the non-skating fans on Twitter getting very concerned about the state of men's. <laughs> and I'm like, nope, that that that's just how the men's go. No, this checks out. Yeah, this is, we expected this. The short program was too good. It should have gone worse. <laughs> it was too good to be true. But don't worry. Us figure skating fans are nothing if not optimistic. We don't need clean programs to feel good about the event. Honestly, the real shout-out of the final results goes to 4th, 5th, and 6th. Yeah, so what we're referring to is uh, Yuzira Hanyu, Junhuan Cha, and Jason Brown placed 4th, 5th, and 6th respectively overall. And there was a short moment where everything was right in the world and they were the three in the room for the medalists. <laughs> a brief moment where the birds were singing and the sun was shining. It was, so, it was so nice to see them again together. I don't think we've seen them, like all three of them together since Four Continents 2020. But yeah, so those three were once upon a time trading mates in the same location at Toronto Cricket Club. And it was just nice seeing them all uh, all together at the same place and, you know, doing well relatively. I also really liked that uh, their scores, their uh, final scores went um, 281, 282, 283. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I was like, yeah. But anyways, I think it is cool that uh, the podium stayed the same as the short program. I feel like that's oh, yeah. not a constant thing in men's skating. No, usually the ordinals and skating are all over the place. But we're going to start off with the with the scoring discourse so that we can, you know, have, find some joy afterwards. Business before pleasure and all that. Shoma's scores were once again uh, questionable. I feel like even more so than the short program. Oh, uh, yeah, I would agree. So he his quad style was under-rotated, uh, only called Q. Quad toe was under, but called clean. Uh, got positive GOE on his triple axle oiler single flip shame because that combo is honestly pretty good it is it's really nice when he doesn't pop the flip it's just basically adding up a lot a lot of errors his uh score should have been much lower than it was and i am not the be all end all of calls but i think that his scores if him and yuzuru had been scored correctly i think yuzuru should have ended up on the podium as opposed to shoma but also even like not even without looking at the technical side of things, his PCS, he does have amazing skating skills and he does have great musicality. And I understand that Yuzuru had two falls, which by the rules of the ISU, there is a PCS cap. But in 90 versus 92, when Shoma didn't have a clean skate either, it was a choice. We just mentioned, you know, that uh, Yuzuru Hanyu, with the mistakes in his free program, incurred a PCS cap. A PCS cap is incurred for having one or two serious errors in your program. 
I say one or two because you get a PCS cap, as in it can only go so high for one serious error, and then it lowers for the second serious error. Uh, these are, you know, mainly falls, but, you know, can also apply to so many things that can go wrong in a program because they are endless. But in Yuzu's case, he had the two falls on in his free program on the quad axle and the quad sal. And it brought about, as per the handbook, a cap of 9.25 for skating skills, transitions, and composition, and 8.75 for performance and interpretation. Uh, it should be noted that most of Yuzu's marks, if you look at the protocols, are at the top of those caps. There are a few that are below and... But yeah, so the judges actually followed the handbook for this one. Our main issue with this, our issue is not with, you know, that it followed the rule, the handbook, because like, boy, would we love for people to follow the handbook more. Our main issue is that, and that this comes up quite a lot with PCS, is that PCS judging rules are never followed consistently, if at all. So yeah, Yuzu's PCS, you know, in this section, they followed the caps, and you know, that's how he got his 90.44. And, you know, it's not limited to Beijing. It's happened, you know, across the quad, across the previous quads, often to Yuzuru. It's just an example of how the same rules don't apply the same for different skaters, and Yuzuru is often the victim of it. You can find examples for this across his very lengthy career, and it sucks that uh, this is still a problem in the year of our Lord 2022. We're this is still happening. We're still talking about it. It can also be mentioned that he went in the second to last group instead of the last group, you know, due to being in eighth position. And an argument could be made that the falls and or, you know, pressure he was under, you know, could affect performance or interpretation. Things like skating skills, transitions, composition are the more objective parts of PCS and thus are easier to judge by the handbook. But anyways, uh, moving on to uh, Nathan's scoring. As we said before, you know, he, he was going to win. I have no problem with that. Because, you know, that is that is correct. He would have won. But he broke the PCS world record that was previously set by Yuzuru Hanyu uh, with, with mistakes in his free program. And I would argue that clean Nathan should not break the PCS world record. So there is that to consider. I want to know how you look at Schindler's List, Jason Schindler's List, a clean Schindler's List. Okay, he had one pop, but it didn't affect the program in any way. It was a triple sal pop to a double sal. So it, like, it, it wasn't that big of a pop. It doesn't affect the program. How you look at Schindler's List to the Rocket Man and give Nathan higher PCS in every single element. The programs don't compare. You know, Jason, you know, few do compare to Jason in the category of PCS. You know, judging things fairly, even if it means a lower score, is just what, you know, spurs people to improve and become better skaters. And that's what we want for everyone. It's upsetting to see PCS judged so unfairly. I mean, you know, you gotta bring up Yuzuru Hanyu's uh, free skate PCS. Yes, he did have two falls, which brings about a PCS cap. It's just the fact that nobody else, it's never applied to anyone else. It's the principle of the thing. Scoring discourse will always, well, it'll always be there, you know. It's a fact of bias existing as a, a human quality. But there should be more things in place to curb that bias and make sure it doesn't affect the actual scores and results, you know? Yeah. Yuma's scoring, Yuma has here, and I think in the previous competitions he's been at, been getting, you know, a bit higher scores than he deserves. I am not surprised at all that Yuma meddled here. And I, you know, I think he still deserved to medal even if he had, you know, gotten a little bit lower of scores. But like we said earlier, he calls out his own overscoring. I'm really proud of, you know, what he did here. There's not a single skater that gives better kiss and cry reactions than Yuma Kageyama. I'll talk about, I'll talk about him a bit later when we go into our uh, positivity section. But um, yeah, just proud of Yuma. Which, speaking of a positivity section, I think we should start that now. We have some highlights from the free program we'd like to talk about. I have officially dubbed myself the Jason Stan of the ITL podcast. <laughs> I think you did that like three years ago, but okay. I just want to talk a little bit about how proud I am of Jason and just his, especially his journey with his coaches in TCC. So Jason mostly works with Tracy. And a little bit with Brian, but most of the work he does with is with Tracy, and Tracy is the coach that will come with him to competitions. So, for a little bit of backstory to Jason, for especially new fans that might not know everything about Jason. So after the Sochi Olympics, bear in mind Jason made the Sochi Olympics. He wasn't expected to make the team. He had done well in the juniors, and he had done well in the Grand Prix. He medaled at Trophy Eric Bombard, which was 
what IDF is now, it was IDF of those days. And, but after an amazing skate at US Nationals, he was put onto the Olympic team. And he had put so much focus into making the back onto the Olympic team. And he had made it in his entire identity that he... By 2018, he wasn't skating for himself. He was skating for the Olympics. And if anyone knows anything about Jason, they'll know what happened at Nationals in 2018. And he didn't make the Olympics team. And there was a point after that where he was so heartbroken that he considered leaving. And I'm so glad he didn't. And the way he moves on the ice and is able to maximise his points despite his lower base value is something that's so uniquely Jason. And shout out to Rohim Ward, who's been Jason's choreographer since he was a junior, who said he loves choreographing for Jason because he knows that the final product on the ice will remain true to the original vision that Rohin had and that stuff won't be changed and taken out of it to make it um, easier and to make it easier to compete. And like a lot of skaters will adjust the program across the season to what works best in competition and Rohan has always said that Jason will try stick to what was originally the choreo as much as the choreographer's vision as possible. So after 2018 he made a massive change and he moved to TCC and bear in mind Corey Aid had been his coach his entire life. He had started coaching with her when he lived with his parents in Highland Park they moved to Colorado together. They had been together their entire life. These programs they skated at the Olympics mean so much to him and to Rohan especially. So Sinnerman is heavily inspired by Alvin Eiley's Revelations, which tells the story of the historical African-American experience from a church-inspired perspective. And his choreographer Rohan Ward's own story and experience and his free skate M. Schindler's List, which is by David Wilson, is a piece of music he's always wanted to skate to, but he'd never really felt ready to do it. For anyone that doesn't know, Jason is from a Jewish background. So to have both these programs as perfect as they were uh, at the competition he worked so hard to get to, I just, I cried a lot. His journey to these games hasn't, like, it's not been easy at all. He's, he had a concussion in 2019 after Champs Camp. Even this season he was off the ice during the off season for two months, which I don't feel like a lot of people know. But like he didn't have any off season basically. He was he had a um avulsion fracture on his left in metatarsal, I think, after Worlds. So Jason had two had two clean programs here at the Olympics. Both beautiful, both gorgeous. Jason is an all and always has been a masterclass in skating and what skating is about my my own personal experience with Jason. Jason's uh 2014 Nats River Dance went viral. I remember I was in high school at lunch when I saw the BuzzFeed article about it. <laughs> um and I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll watch that." And I fell in love and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to watch Sochi," which I did during my forensics class. <laughs> but anyways, it got me to watch Sochi, which, you know, I didn't watch figure skating until Pyeongchang got back, but that was really the start of you know, me learning about figure skating and getting into figure skating, and I owe that to Jason. But, you know, but Jason, as someone who did not have a quad for most of his career and never has had a consistent quad, he has faced waves and waves of doubt and ridicule the whole way for not having that. He worked so hard to, you know, do well without a quad. He's worked so hard to put in a quad. And just the fact that he ended up, you know, removing the quad from his free program in favor of a of a clean free program it just speaks so much about him that you know he had a top six finish uh with no quad and two doubles not that this has ever been what he is about but he stuck it to everyone who had ever come at him and ridiculed him for lack of a quad or lack of high technical ability jason at the top is just a love letter to the beauty of skating without focusing on or needing on or being forced to do the best tech there is and you know, like Neve said in her rant, the fact that he gets to the top and, you know, deserves to be at the top with no quad uh, or no, you know, high tech up there speaks to the quality of his elements and his skating. And that is just something so unique to him and an inspiration, really. Jason has always kind of brought to mind, or maybe the other way around, Dennis of Cilios, who has landed a fully rounded quad once. And it was, you know, this year at Euros. But he, you know, he works hard on his PCS and his other elements. But, you know, Dennis is not a Jason replica. <laughs> if you know me, you know that I am a 
big fan of Dennis. He is a skater that I think can, you know, captivate you and have you rooting for him with just one skate. For me, it was his Worlds 2018 free, aka one of the very few valid Michael Bublé programs. And I think, you know, that quality of his really shown here because it goes very well with his quality of you know, being able to show you how much he loves skating every time he goes out there, even through, you know, a talent for performance that he has. Like, you know, he might not be like, you know, smiling and showing joy, but he just seems like he's he fits there, you know, on the ice. And, you know, finally combine that with a good set of programs. That just makes a very impressive package out there on the ice and at the Olympics, no less. Dennis himself said afterwards that he has never enjoyed himself as much on the ice as he did here. You know, fall on the quad sal be damned. Every time he goes out there, he looks like he's having the time of his life. Or like, you know, afterwards. He has that natural talent for performance, but he also has just a natural aptitude, I guess is the word, for skating. Maybe not in the technical sense, but in the love of the sport sense. Not saying that, you know, these ska- uh, these other skaters don't have the love of the sport. They do, and it shows so well. It just manifests differently in some people. Dennis is just, I think he's always a, you know, great skater to watch no matter the program he's performing. There's a clip going around if you haven't seen it. I want to shout out to the single most stressful part of the men's event where Dennis was due to go out on ice for the six minute warm up and he was rushing to tie up his hair. <laughs> like anyone with a with like ponytail length hair can relate like you got you got to tie it up you got to go you got to get out there anyways moving on our next shout out of you know half free skate half overall uh goes to jun huan cha uh this is this is for all the all the moms out there this is for me and gab but my main takeaways for jun here are that i am incredibly proud of him and like I just want to talk about how much of a joy it's been to watch him grow after Pyeongchang. And like I said, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that he's had one of, you know, the biggest rises as a skater and in popularity since. Uh, He's been making history for Korean men skating the whole way, you know, from Grand Prix and Grand Prix final podiums uh, to winning four continents less than a month ago and to a fifth place finish here. And he's been doing it through boot problems, through injury, training alone. He's just... In the past four years, it's, you know, you can just see how much he's grown so remarkably as a skater. And it just makes me so happy and so proud to see him show that here. And, I like, you know, the free program shout out uh, overall is that he had a kind of nasty fall on his first jump, the quad toe, uh, that, like, he took a few seconds to get up from. And he went out and he destroyed the rest of that program. Like, it was beautiful. So just to recover from that, it was I, was, I was so proud of him. It was so impressive. His Ina Bauer is like nothing else. Just go watch the clip of his Ina Bauer from his free program. It gives me chills. It's so good. And the thing about his Ina Bauer's is that they're always so perfectly timed to the music. They're so perfectly timed and he, like, does them so calmly and so beautifully. And yet with, like, you know such control and like you know deep edges that like you're like man he just looks like he he's he's just at home at that Ina in the Ina Bauer I I feel like talking about how dumb Cash you are it really does drive home about how <laughs> remarkable Jun's successes are especially here and at four continents so if anyone that doesn't know KSU sent their entire Olympic team to four continents which was in Europe at the height of Europe's Omicron breakout because smart ideas also, bear in mind, t- two weeks before the Olympics, so if anyone tested positive, that was essentially them out, judging by Korea and China's quarantine rules. They just send out skaters to competition after competition, and it's just a testament to all of their strength that they go through all of them. In the past month, he's competed at least three times. He's got another competition, Winter Sports Festival, before Worlds. Like, hello? I just want him to take a nap or something. <laughs> yeah, just sleep. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you out of there. But yeah, like, you know, but I'm just so, so proud of him and so happy that I can watch him grow as a skater since Pyeongchang. And I'm so excited to continue to watch him. Another skater that I would mark down as having a big rise in popularity since Pyeongchang, even though he wasn't there, is Kevin Amos. I remember all of us watching him at Autumn Classic and 
we were all we were all just like amazed you know none of us really knew him as a skater very well or knew him at all in my case you know we were just we were blown away we were very impressed he he stands out with you know great skating you know transitions and elements like you know fun fun choreographic elements like the I, I don't remember what we called it but like the knee slide he did in a lot of his programs and he also has you know incredible performance skills and you know it's just very expressive on the ice you know whether it's a more serious or a more fun program like the question of you his short program here which he brought back from the previous season. And with, you know, good programs throughout the quad, they allow these qualities of his to shine. And, you know, I think the rise in popularity has coincided with some great skates, you know, and, you know, great, you know, periods of time in this quad, you know, a Grand Prix final medal. He has struggled with injury recently, as well as some rough skates. Uh, Truly the epic highs and lows. He, you know, he made it through them. He persevered through his rough times and he was able to be happy with himself and proud of himself. And that's, for me, that's what I like to see most on a skater is, you know, happy and healthy. And not just Kevin. It was great to see both of Francis skaters go out there and do well. Well enough that they could be happy with themselves. Specifics be damned. And our final shout out of the free program. And I, I say this uh, with all the reverence of a worshiper to a god. Yuzuru Hanyu. He worked his way up, you know, through underscoring and through, you know, falls from eighth place to fourth place. And it's just a true testament to his talent, the quality of his skating and his skills, that through that, you know, being lowballed, he was able to move his way up from eighth to fourth place. There is no one like him. It's not even just figure skating, just in sport in general. There's no one like Yuzuru Hanyu. Absolutely. Not one bit. He's a completely unique athlete. You know, both, you know, his mentality, his work ethic, his talent. Even with the results here, which obviously didn't go the way he wanted and what many fans had hoped for, and the mistakes that were sadly made, the way he's managed to capture the attention of the entire world. I think it's the fact that, like, Obviously, four-year fans are a thing, and, you know, the Olympics gets the attention of the worldwide audience more than anything else, so it, it, it just makes sense that, you know, these things will happen at the Olympics. You know, every time at the Olympics, he, you know, he gets so much attention from people who know nothing about figure skating. You know, mistakes, mistakes. he's so special. And um, speaking of how special and innovative and, you know, hardworking and brave and all these beautiful words that he is he came the closest he has ever come to rotating the quad axle here his first under rotation it was the first certified quad axle i I mentioned this earlier uh my therapist (laughs) my therapist watched the men's free skate and she's like all i remember is the guy in flannel keegan uh deserve by the way uh and the guy who was attempting something who had never been done and you know that just that sentence he's attempting something that has never been done uh and most people deem impossible and shall we also go on to the sad news about the fact that he so he re-injured his ankle disappointed not surprised yeah anyone that's known user hanyu over the past few years has known the issues he's had with his ankle so he re-injured his ankle in practice on a quad axle attempt the day between the short program and the free skip and after um, the media, after the free skate, he said to the media that he couldn't feel his right foot at all. Anyone that was here for Pyeongchang has trauma about that curse, that, that about that statement. The short period of time after he won gold, before he revealed that you know he was on like hella painkillers, that was peace. It's a testament to his talent and his mentality that despite that injury and despite the pain he was in, he was still able to skate like that. And even though there was the fall on the quad axle and the quad sal, everything else in the program was perfect. And it's important to note that while he could have easily removed the quad axle attempt for the Olympics, replaced it with a quad loop, uh, landed it, and you know which would have made the difference between a podium place and fourth, he didn't because you know winning or placing was not his priority. And I think that just speaks so much to his attitude as an athlete and something that makes him so unique is that he's here but he you know he wasn't here to win like he was in Pyeongchang and it's just crazy that you know he has you know he has so many goals and he decimates all of them 
it also says so much about his legacy that he didn't even need to do that to know that he's cemented his name in the history of the sports finest never mind figure skating's finest you know that's that's our rundown of you know the men's event overall and we vibe checked to the previous quad for you but we want to do just a little bit more because there's a whole nother quad ahead of us. Just think, there's another Olympics after this. <laughs> oh my god, and then there's another <laughs> Olympics after that, and like, oh my god, time keeps flowing. <laughs> Who would have thought? We want to end this episode on a positive note. Beijing men's event, you know, was not the best event, especially when compared to the previous one. Pyeongchang was pretty good overall, you know, men's-wise. And, you know, there's a lot of people worrying, you know, based on scoring drama and, you know, skaters who may be retiring or, you know, not doing as many events soon. There's like, you know, some catastrophizing, I guess. And I just, I want to speak to, you know, positive things that, you know, we've taken from this Olympics. I cannot stop talking about this kid. He's not a kid. He's 22. Um, <laughs> Donovan Carrillo. Like, I could talk about him forever. He represents so much that is good about sports about figure skating about the olympics overall he's he's a reminder that it's not always about scores especially when you're watching skaters from smaller federations it's about passion it's about enjoyment of the sport it's about going there and doing your best and that being enough to bring joy to the audience competitions are that they are competitions they are scored and they have medals and i'm trying to say this in the kindest way possible because I do not mean it in a dismissive way but there will always be skaters who go to competitions knowing that they won't be on that podium but they still go out there and they give their best because they love what they're doing and that's what this is about that's what the sport is about there's going to be highlights and there's going to be people that don't make the podium that skate with just so much passion and so much love for the sport that there's more there's more to skating than results and there's more to skating than the medals. And like I said, you know, Donovan is just a one, an amazing example of that, you know. He just he goes out there and he has the time of his life. I remember in one of his interviews after the short program, you know, he just talked about how you know, he never wanted that to end and we could tell because, you know, people are worrying about like, you know, skaters who might retire or we want to talk about who we're excited to see going forward. And Donovan is one of those. And I think we've talked about him enough for, <laughs> for the episode. But like, you know, he talked about how he plans to go to Milan in 2026. I'm just I'm just so happy that he will be there. Uh, anyways, there is also um, <laughs> it's crazy that we're talking about, you know, being excited to see him in the future as he is literally the silver medalist of the event. But Yuma Kagiyama is one of the youngest there. Like, I mean, I knew this in the back of my head, but, like, it never registered to me that he made his junior debut after Pyeongchang within the span of a quad. He's gone from the junior scene to the senior scene to an Olympic silver medal. His first senior competition was Four Continents 2020, and he podiumed. This kid is has insane potential. You know, he, he obviously, he has room to grow, and he just has the mindset that he's going to. I'm just so excited to see how much he grows. In general, he's just a delight to watch. He's so much fun to watch skate. Another skater we're excited to watch in the future is Mark Underjuic, which is also kind of insane to say as he is the, you know, reigning European champion. But... <laughs> God, what a what a splash he's made. Right. For anyone that doesn't know Mark's story, not to sorry that I've this entire podcast has been like me. Here's the history of figure skating. <laughs> <laughs> but Mark, not this nationals the year before, he was at alternate to nationals. Russian nationals, may I add, who their men's field isn't, it's deep, but it's not, it's not Japanese men deep. He got into this Russian nationals event because his best friend, Arthur Janelian, withdrew because of injury. He got bronze at that event. The beginning of this season, he didn't have a Grand Prix assignment. He, he, he got a host pick, a Rostelicon Cup, and now he is the Russian national champion. He is the European champion. He is currently a team gold medalist. And he's the youngest skitter in this event. And okay, yes, his jumps may not be great. Admittably, his jumps are not great. But if you've ever seen any of his programs, you'll know he performs with everything he has. He performs with so much heart. But like, you know... I think a good example of this is um, his free skate in the individual event, which was his fourth skate 
in six days. He looked exhausted. Also, we need to add the fact that everything that's been going on with the team of Ink Gold, Mark is the first member of that ROC team to compete in the individual event. It wouldn't be a shock if it came out that he was under a lot of pressure and a lot of stress with that. Also, it's important to add he is good friends with Camila Valieva, who is the skater at the centre of that. Taking that all into account, you know, he didn't have a great skate under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. He put his whole heart out on onto the ice to that program, to Jesus Christ Superstar. And like, I like, you know, I he just put his all into it. Like, I've never seen. I was so impressed. You know, jumps, you know, who cares about jumps? He's going out there and doing everything, like, just putting so much heart into it. And he has really amazing skating skills. Like, a lot of people haven't really um, spoken so much about his skating skills. Like, his skating skills are really good, and he has the most natural gift for performance that I've seen in a long while. And he's already captured hearts across the world. So go, Marcus Christ. We will be <laughs> supporting you. We are your 12 disciples. Oh my gosh. Some other, you know people we have to look forward uh, i wanted to shout out to adam Shaohimfa from france who also uh was on the junior scene within this quad he came to the he high key has like one of the best sets of programs at the olympics first a star wars program next a daft punk program both bangers and once again you know one of those performers that shows that it's not all about technical perfection you know it's about heart and joy and another skater is Ilya Matlinen. So Ilya was the USA national silver medalist. In my opinion, he should have been gold, but that's a discussion for another episode. And he was left off this Olympic team in favour of Jason due to Jason's um, body of work and international experience. Um, Ilya has only ever been to a junior worlds. And yet he's someone we're talking about for being a future world medalist, Olympic medalist. He kind of follows the trend of Vincent and Nathan in that his high scores come mostly from his high base value. Um, this man is training quad-quad combos. And it's the fact that his quad-quad combos look good. There, there's a distinction between someone training a quad-quad combo and someone training a quad-quad combo. I'm really excited to see how him and Shun Sato from Japan match up together at Jinga Worlds coming up. Yeah, Shun Sato, another one to watch out for. And the new quad looks so exciting. There's there's so much talent between, especially in Russia and Japan's youngsters. But within Ilya, there's also another few really good American juniors that I'm really excited to watch. And there's just so many young people. We're just talking about the senior field here. Who knows what juniors will show up? We also have Kao Miyota uh, from Team Japan. He was the first alternate for these at games. And he was a, the 4CC bronze medalist with Kazuki Tomono. Also another one to look out for, like, God. And I just also want to, you know, say that, like, you know, people to look out for, people that are worth watching in this sport does not stop with, the, you know, young blood like that. You know, as we said before, this, you know, the average age is different from Pyeongchang, and this is many skaters' second Olympics. But that, that means nothing. You know, some of them are still only barely in their 20s and, you know, can have a whole nother quad ahead of them if they wanted. The main message I want to put out at the end of this event is that, you know, there is nowhere near nothing to watch in the upcoming years of figure skating in the next quad, and there won't be after that either. There is no shortage of talent or passion to be found. The Olympics are once every four years, and not every skater from every competition can make it, and yet still there is so many great skaters to see and enjoy and support and be impressed by and, you know, find joy watching. So just imagine what you can find in the rest of the quad and in the rest of the competitions. There's so much to look forward to in the seniors, in the juniors. Maybe they won't have a perfect tech or PCS. They probably won't. But they will have heart, and that's what matters. Because those who are passionate are the heart of this sport, and they will always be around to keep it beating. And we will always be around to support them. And, God, like, I just have so much- I'm so optimistic. Mm -hmm. And yes, of course, there's never going to be another user of Hanyu. There's never going to be a Jason Brown. There's never going to be Nathan Chen even. But there will be skaters that come and there'll be skaters that capture your hearts. And there'll be skaters that you'll root for. There'll be skaters that you'll discourse about. There'll be skaters that you'll cry for. There'll be skaters that you laugh at. There'll be... Yeah. Not, not in a mean way, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> there'll be skaters that you love. 
you know, it's a logical conclusion to come to after, you know, these games, you know, to think that the sport is declining. And, you know, with scoring discourse, that will always exist. We'll always have to be angry about that. And we'll always have to try to fix it. But it's unfair to, you know, these smaller Federation skaters, especially those who won't podium at these events, to focus completely on scores is to disregard them. Or focus completely on podiums is to disregard them when they are so full of talent and life and passion and joy. And I will have no one catastrophizing about the state of the sport on my watch. There's so much (laughs) to look forward to. You just have to widen your perspective a bit. Even like skitters in the first group that I maybe wouldn't have watched before I was like a full on skating fan. I maybe would have tuned in to the last group. But there's so many skaters in, like, the first group. Or maybe the second group. Like, Roman Sadowski was first to skate. Think of all of the people that might have missed what a beautiful skater Roman Sadowski is. Because they didn't tune in. If they hadn't watched it from the first on, they would have missed Boyan Jin. Who was fourth at the last Olympics in an amazing skater in him, you know, in and of itself. There's so much good in this sport. And it's not that we should ignore the bad, but we can't ignore the, the good. And, you know such as life <laughs> anyways and even i have been converted to hippieism <laughs> our final message is just one of positivity you know because we love this sport that's why we're here because we love it and we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't so now that the men's are over we look forward to the dance event woo-hoo! and then we have women's in pairs so woohoo we'll see you for those then i hope everyone enjoys I just want everyone to be healthy, happy, and successful. And thank you for listening. We hope to see you again for our next episode. We want to thank our transcribing and quality control team, Evie, Evie for editing. She's the best. Uh, And Gab for graphic design. Always kills it. And if you want to get in touch with us, then please feel free to contact us via our website, inthelowpodcast.com, or on our Twitter. You can also find our episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you enjoy the show and you want to help support the team, please consider making a donation to us on our Ko-fi page. And we want to give a huge thank you to all the listeners who have contributed to our team thus far and supported us. And you can find the links to all of our social media pages and our Ko-fi on the website. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a rating and a review if you enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. I am so happy to return as a host. It's been so long. This has been Car and Nate. Bye. Ta-ta for now.